A podcast of the cinema. What's your name? My name is Alonzo Duraldi. Your name is Dave White. Yep. We are film critics. Yes. This is our show. And you just ate a really good lunch. Yes. Thanks to me. Yes, I did. I'm a trad wife. <laughs> I'm here to make lunch. Also dinner sometimes, but not tonight. We're going our separate ways. It's true. We live separate lives. <laughs> No, we have two different separate vacations. You're going to a screening. I'm going to a screening in opposite directions. Correct. Yeah. Um, I'll have a chauffeur uh, because you know. Yeah, that's your. That's how you roll. It's literally quite literally. Yes. Um, let's get into it because we have a lot of things to cover, and. Is this where I say, yes, let's. Not a lot of time <laughs> to do it. Um, Terrence Davis died. Terrence Davis died. And sometimes when cinema giants uh, pass away, we forget in the moment to talk about that. Yes. Uh, but sometimes we remember, and today we remember, because I keep thinking, I've been thinking for the past couple of days, all about uh, Deep Blue Sea. Mm. Or was it The Deep Blue Sea? I think it's sea. The Deep Blue the Sea. The Deep Blue Sea. Now, there was the shark movie that I think was just called Deep Blue Sea. Correct. But one of my favorite Terrence Davis films is The Deep Blue Sea, yes. starring Rachel Weisz and, and uh, Tom, Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston. And it is... Who are both in the MCU. Sure. <laughs> that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> I, uh, when I think of them, that is what I think of. I don't think of the MCU. I know. It's just a weird thing that's happening in movies right now. Incredible, beautiful, sorrowful film. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm just, and, and how, like, when it came out, it seemed like critics were into it. And I don't know that audiences went to see it. I don't think so. And I, <laughs> And it's one of those things that kind of, you know, it trails you uh, as, a, as a film critic, you know, really kind of just giving your heart to a, a, a film and hoping other people feel it too. Sure. You want them to feel it too. You want them to know and you want them to see. And it's not like, it's not like you're trying to educate people. You just want them to know that feeling. Yeah. Because it's it's like being at a restaurant and saying, "Oh, try this." As beautiful and as, you know, uh uh classically minded but also sort of often his own thing kind of filmmaker he was. Mm. People forget sometimes when they do talk about his films the depth of feeling that are that is in all of them. Yeah. Um 
And this one, just for me in particular this week, I've just been thinking about it. Since he died, I've been thinking about it. We don't know. He was 77, right? Yeah. A brief illness was all. Yeah, we don't know what it was no about. Idea. Which um, sounds like it would be the title of one of his movies, actually. But one of last year's, or one of our favorite films last year, yeah. Benediction. That was his final film. Yeah. That we know of. As far as I know, yeah. I don't think and he had another one waiting to go. That's another one. That and a friend just actually said to me the other day, I'm going to watch Benediction. And I said, Google the players, uh, <laughs> Google the historical figures uh, before you watch it. It'll, it'll help you. Sure. Because <laughs> that's what I did. I didn't know everybody. Yeah, it can't uh, hurt to know who uh, yeah. Wilfred Owen is going in. Yeah, um, yeah and it's, it, it is on Hulu. It's on Canopy. If you did not see Benediction, it was on my top 10 last year. And as I've been saying, like, so often when we look at the careers of great directors, their last films are not necessarily among their best ones. Right. But this is a case in which this is absolutely one of his greatest films. And so uh, as sad as it is that he's gone, like, what a way to go out. Yeah. And I, I honestly, today, I, I think about The Deep Blue Sea because it is a film about the aftermath of World War II in, in Britain. Mm-hmm. And the... There is, there is war happening right now. Mm. Um, there is there is war well underway right now in Israel. If 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 the, if nothing stops, if if things move the way they seem to be moving, that's what's happening. Yeah, and and that has had me preoccupied for a few days now. It's just when you watch the news and you get online and you read things and you you just feel despair. And hopelessness, and you know somehow that your phone is an inadequate space to process that. It is an inadequate space to have an idea, to have anything resembling an informed opinion. And when you're old, like you and me, you know, I'm I'm 59. Yeah, you're 56. We. You and I together, as when we were kids, this was all happening. Yeah. The same stuff our entire lives, and it began before we were born. And it has felt unsolvable. And, and so when a, when a big sort of attack you know, takes place like this. You just, I just, uh, personally, I'm speaking just for me, I just feel sort of like stunned and numb into a kind of silence and you don't know what the right words are. And you, and, and you realize also maybe that your words will do nothing for anyone. And invariably, in times like this, I am, my first thought is, uh, Something I learned back when I was a kid, when I was I was raised by the worst kind of right wing evangelicals. Not raised by them, but I grew up with them. Mm-hmm. You know, my family, my old, my parents were not, but I, I found it. My stumbled my way into it anyway. Um, and the longer I stayed with the evangelicals, the more I realized that the things that I felt inside were completely at odds with what I was being told. Um, Because during my time with the evangelicals, I also stumbled onto the Christian left, the peace and justice Christians, the ones who were all about 
working for peace in the world and justice in the world. Um, and the thing that I would always hear was, what's one thing you can do to help anybody right now? Shooting off your mouth is probably not it. <laughs> and, and so because I am just one person here in my little apartment in California with no connection to anything other than friends who I know, personal friends who I know who are panicking right now over their friends and family in Israel. Um, all I can do is say to them, you know, I'm thinking of you, but myself, for myself, what I think, if anyone else is feeling like I feel, which is that hopelessness um, and that loss about what it is, what can, what can, what can you do? My answer always is, do you have 10 bucks? Because if you've got 10 bucks, there are organizations out there far more uh, 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 prepared, far more organized, and far more uh, thorough in their approach to trying to help people in need at this particular moment or at any particular moment. Is there... I see your mouth about to open like you trying to say something. Well, I just as he, you trying to talk to me as he often did. Mister Rogers had it right, which is in times of crisis, look to the helpers. Yes. So, International Rescue Committee, rescue.org, Doctors Without Borders. Uh, there's a group that I don't know much about, but that I found uh, in my digging, uh, Alliance for Middle East Peace. It's like allmep.org. Uh, there's a group called parentscirclefriends.org, which is, uh, my understanding is that they are uh, sort of like an alliance of bereaved families mm. who, you know, through the years, who are peace workers. Mm. And here's one thing I also know, that, People who are peace activists are often dismissed and told that, that they are ineffectual. But I don't see any other option. Now, we are film critics. And so, if you don't know anything about anything, and again, I'm 59 years old and I don't know anything about anything. I don't have any answers. I just have more and more questions. And this is after decades of working in film criticism and studying film and watching film after film after film after film, documentaries primarily, but also narrative features from this region of the world that will tell you stories from all different perspectives and, and, and again, through the documentaries, uh, real stories from all different perspectives. And... You can, you can be as informed as you can possibly be and still not know what's right. Because um, I'm thinking about like that documentary, Five Broken Cameras, mm -hmm. which, trigger warning, <clears throat> is full of graphic violence. Um, but if you don't think you know enough to speak, then 
start educating yourself, you know. And if you're listening to a film podcast, start watching these films. Google Israel-Palestine documentaries and no shortage oh, yeah. of them will come up. A lengthy... And you can uh, sift through them uh, depending on how, you know, what you, what you find. Look to see what people are saying about those films. The organizations I just, you know, mentioned, you don't have to go to any of them. You can just Google how to help Israelis and Palestinians. Most importantly, retain your sense of empathy during this mm. and remember the humanity of all the people that you encountered. That's it. I'm an idiot. And this is everything I know how to say. And you said it very well. Watch movies. Watch <laughs> movies about this. You'll learn something. You'll, you'll primarily learn that you don't know enough. Yeah. Especially if you don't live there or have any connection. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, we have some of the current cinema to discuss. We do. Some of it abjectly ridiculous. Yes. Um, in fact, we could get that rolling with the most abjectly ridiculous of the bunch. Things that you saw that I did not see. Mm. Um, because there's a bunch that we saw that we both yes. like and we both saw. Uh, and you're welcome for all the ones I, I uh, spared you from having to see. As I recently said <laughs> on, as I recently said on, uh, was it Linoleum Nights? Maybe. When we didn't ask us anything uh, and we were asked, why does Alonzo have to go see <laughs> the, big, the big movies and Dave gets to sit home? Well, I'll tell you why, because I have terrible disability right now <laughs> uh, that prevents me from going to a lot of press screenings. Uh, it's going to get fixed real soon, we think. Uh, but in the meantime, you are more than ever before my poison tester. Yep. You are the one who goes out to see the creator and then comes home and tells me it makes no sense, but it looks great. <laughs> to that I say, all right, I'll look at it when it's streaming so that I can look at it. Unless you think I need to see it on a big screen so yeah. I can experience the, the good looks of it all. You yeah. know, I like good looks. Sure, we all do. But, um, but the, uh, you said, tell me what you said about it. <laughs> that was it in a nutshell. Um, you know, it, 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 it is set in the future where there had been a period where, where uh AI and robots had gotten more sophisticated and were helping human beings. And then LA is nuked and uh, most of mankind assumes the robots did it. And so um, they start wiping out all the robots, except uh, new Asia decides that they're going to live in harmony with the robots. So that leads to a war between new Asia and the U S and um, John David Washington plays a soldier who's been going undercover trying to find the creator who is the, the person who was the inventor of all the robots. And he gets involved with Gemma Chan. And um, when she is about to have their child, the uh, army shows up, you know, before they're supposed to. And mayhem ensues and it's terrible. And years later, he is talked into going back to New Asia because they tell him that uh, Gemma Chan is still alive. Right. And uh, and they've got, he's got to find the ultimate weapon that the creator has built that could, you know, end the, the robot war once and for all. And it turns out it's an adorable. 
adorable child yep. with a robot inside. Um, anyway, and then it's a it's a it's a it's a kid robot. Kid, ro- kid thank you. Yes, it is a kid robot. Um, TM. And yeah, the plot wise, it is a whole lot of not much. Okay. Um, Why? Well, because if you whether you embrace the idea that, that the movie is really saying yes, we should learn to you know live coexist with AI, or if they're using you know robot enemies as a metaphor for how we you know in times of conflict you know nations dehumanize each other yes you know like that montage at the beginning of Joyeux Noël where the little french kids and little german kids are reciting these poems about what you know monsters the other right. country is have you taught bran how to pronounce the title not yet, yet? <clears throat> i believe in you i'm going to give it my best I shot i think you can do it <laughs> there's a hallmark movie this year called Joyeux Noël and bran is not having a good time with it so far uh, anyway so like i said whether you're taking this plot at its face or as a metaphor, it doesn't really work either way. Um, the storytelling kind of falls apart. They rush these, what are supposed to be big emotional moments at the in the last you know moments that don't really land. Um, the kid is good and it looks great. That's that's all I got. Okay. Um, and then this one bums me out. That Exorcist believer. Oof. Is not good. I've seen the trailer for this one for a while now. Yeah, and when I when I heard the da 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 da, you mean da 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 da. No wait, sorry, I'm getting my. What are you doing? Sorry. The tubular bells. Okay, you're you're singing it wrong. Okay, Paganini. When I heard the little bit of tubular bells in the trailer, I was like, ooh, what's happening? And then I saw Ellen Burstyn show up, and I was like, ooh, ooh, I got Okay, You I gotta go. sucker, you're everything that's wrong with the movies. But then you went, <laughs> and you were like, nope. <laughs> and I'm super bummed out about this. Like, friend and neighbor Gary Cotty's kind of come over like, in the next few days or whatever, and we're going to rewatch the OG Exorcist. Mm. And, and I was just kind of stoked like to do that to watch this one and now not just you but like all kinds of people whose opinions i admire are saying not this one i mean here's the thing what happened did they spend a lot of money they did on this ip is this is is their idea to build a new franchise well they're doing a new trilogy and they've hired David Gordon Green, who did the did Halloween this one trilogy. Make any money? It had a, a un, it, it was number one at the box office of the weekend, but it was thought to have underperformed. Okay. And they spent like four hundred million dollars for the rights of this thing. So wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh and now, it, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I did not like any of the David Gordon Green Halloween movies, and you mostly liked. Them. I did, yeah. But even people who liked those are not digging this. Okay. What, and, what happens? It's two little girls that become possessed, like together, right? Yes. And then they call in Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. In, in so in the in the continuity of this. Ellen Burstyn's character, Chris McNeil, has written a book about what happened to her daughter right. and her own sort of like... Do they discuss what has happened to the daughter in the years since? Uh, she has fallen out of touch with her and, is, and wants to find her, but, but Regan is sort of in hiding. Uh-oh. Because after the... She was not happy about the book coming out. 
Oh, I see. Got it. But, uh, and, and Chris talks about how, like, she studied everything she could from various cultures and religions about this sort of thing. You know, she basically knows enough to be an exorcist, but because of the Catholic Church patriarchy, will never be one. Right. Um, but yeah, Leslie Odom Jr. is the dad of one of the girls who goes and tracks her down. And, um, you know, what's interesting about this one is my, my joke has always been that exorcist movies are Catholic superhero movies. Yes. Cause nobody else can step up. You know, you gotta, no, you gotta, gotta you go gotta, to the diocese you, you need a priest. and yeah. it's gotta be a priest. Right. Um, and in this one, there's like, uh, an evangelical preacher. There's a healer who's sort of like, like a new age kind of healer, kind person? of kind of shamanist, you know, um, uh, a traditional, okay. you know, like uh, Gullah, you know, sort of oh, okay. things that spirituality right. that came from Africa, you know, in the in in, yes. in the seventeenth century, um, and and Dowd as a former novitiate who left the the convent and became a nurse, but is still a very devout Catholic. Got it. And Dowd, so, so it's a super team, exactly. Okay. Yes. Yes. The the. The funky bunch. Um, And Dowd is the MVP here. See, I didn't know And Dowd was in it. And now that you tell me this, I will absolutely watch it when it streams. Yeah. She's great. Bust myself. Ellen Burstyn is terrific. And I love the backstory that, like, they kept throwing all this money at Ellen Burstyn. She was finally like, fine, start a scholarship for drama students at Pace University, and I will do your movie. And I did. Yes. Okay, great. Way to use that leverage. That's, that's, yeah. And also, if, like me, you thought it was hilarious that in the trailer, the photo, quote-unquote, of Reagan that they cut to is the key art of Sarah T. Portrait of a Teenage Alcoholic. I am oh, ple- is it really? I am pleased to announce that does not what they do in the movie. <laughs> oh, so they just had that in They the, just stuck it in in the trailer because they, they the needed trailer a shot of her. They, you know? oh, okay. um, is she seen in the, in the film? I'm not going to say one way or the other. Oh. I just want Linda Blair, the actress, to get a little... Little bump. Well, that's it's her decision if she wants to or not from this. Um, so yeah, here's the thing. You know what this movie is going to be. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the original I, I, I'm Exorcist for a surprise. <laughs> yeah, the original Exorcist gave you the shape of this movie. Yeah, and every other exorcism movie, yes. be it officially a sequel or prequel or right. just a, the exorcism of Emily Rose or whatever. Yes, is. Not as good. And this one is also not as good. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it, there's just kind of a feeling of what are we even doing here? Remember when Book of Love did a house version of Tubular Bells? Oh, yeah. Wasn't that great? <laughs> it sampled Linda Blair's dialogue from the movie. <laughs> that was a good one. Mother, make it stop. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> here's, my, here's my big question. Yeah. Why is the devil always futzing around with like pubescent girls and people in remote Italian villages? I don't know. Why doesn't he mm-hmm. like take over major political figures and not like turn their heads around and just make them do what he wants? That's Damien's job. Right? He's the omen. That's the thing. Da- the Damien thing makes more sense. <laughs> He is this conventionally attractive straight white man in the corridors of power. Sam Neill. Yeah. Young Sam Neill. You know, but like, I, what does the devil gain by like puking girls? I don't get it. I, that's a good question. I don't know what his long game here is. I'm, I tend to go with 
that Albert Brooks line in Broadcast News. Yes. The devil will be attractive. Yeah. He'll never hurt another living being. Right. He'll just systematically lower our standards when they matter most. Yep. Well, yeah. Streaming. Sure. For that one. Yeah. Also streaming for Saw X. Because in spite of the fact that... The best reviewed of the series. In spite of that, I lost interest in the moralizing of the Saw universe mm-hmm. several films ago. I've never seen one. Well, you know what? You are a different person than I am. It's true. And back in the day when the first Saw happened, I was really into it. I thought it was frightening and disgusting and gory and terrible and all the things that I want a horror movie to be. <laughs> and uh, and then successive, you know, sequels. You know they're not in order, right? Yeah, I don't care. Okay, fine. <laughs> don't care. I, again, I've never I seen one. Wanna, I know they're not in chronological I order. I like the idea they hop around in time. It's kind of funny as a, as a series. Um, you know, I, as time went on, I was like, oh, okay. So you only tortured to death bad people. But then your definition of bad people is, is like people who are drug addicts. And, 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 and also people who are like hideous, just monsters to everyone they meet. Um, so you cut ahead of me in line at the bank and you're, yeah, you're getting yeah, strapped yeah, to like a there's thing. No, it's, it's such a wiggly line uh, that you have to cross to, to earn the wrath of, you know, uh, Jigsaw. Jigsaw. And so the more they kept turning it into a thing, a film about something. Mm. The more they kept trying to make it about something. Oh, he's 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 giving you know the bad people a taste of you know what they've you know left in the world. Right, dude. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're a psychotic maniac who 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 loves Rube Goldberg devices. Like that's your deal, and. Played the, too much mousetrap as a kid. The only fun of the films is watching the devices do the things to the people, mm. you know? Because in between those moments are, you're about to pay the price for the blah, 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 blah that you did, right. you know? Like a nagging, you know, school marm. Only one that murders you every well, time. I think all the Saw X people are somehow involved in the uh, for-profit healthcare industry, so... They've already done one about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, like... <laughs> I don't know. I'm fed up. And so, when it's um, streaming... Mm-hmm. And, 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 and a friend, uh, our friend Robbie, whose opinions I generally do trust most of the time... Yeah. Uh, in fact, I can't even remember a time that I disagreed with him. We have similar tastes he saw it i think he said it was like the first one he'd ever seen and he liked it Hmm. so i'm gonna watch it okay i'm just not gonna hustle myself out to see it if after like 15 20 minutes i realize that i'm watching the same damn thing that i've seen for the past (laughs) like six movies i'll just fast forward to the murders there you go because that's the fun the fun of of a of a gory 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 nasty movie is watching the deaths that's the fun 
We have two Christmas horror movies coming up that I'm hearing very good advance buzz about. It's a wonderful knife. Right. And what's the other one? Uh, there's one called There's Something in the Barn. Uh, this oh, yeah. was Martin Starr. Okay. And it's about a family of American tourists in like staying out in the country in Norway. All right. And there's something in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> because there was no room at the inn? Uh, I think it's like a troll or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> what? There's a Jesus in the there's barn. There's a baby Jesus in the barn and he's going to murder you. <laughs> and this time he's pissed. <laughs> um. So, yeah, like, I'll get to it. I'll get to Exorcist Believer. Uh, I'm not going to get to Expendables 4. That's that's your problem. Oof, no. And uh, honestly, I don't even blame you. I blame Christy Lemire. <laughs> she made you go. You it's know, on her. Here's the crazy thing. <laughs> here's the crazy thing. So for Breakfast All Day, you know, we do our reviews. Yeah. But we've started doing a thing lately where we do these, like, out-of-the-theater responses. Yes. Uh, where, you know, we just kind of give our first initial thoughts. There's just a couple of minutes. We say, tune in later this week. We'll have a full review, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes people will like, will get like big numbers for watching them. Like we each did a Barbie one and everybody was all over that, you okay. know. But other ones, like people are less interested. I'm glad y'all are doing that on me. No, no, it's fine. For some reason... Our expendables out of the theater conversation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there just weren't a lot of expendable reviews floating around. There probably weren't. They didn't show it to the critics before the hand, did they? No, we saw it like the night before the embargo lifted. Oh, I see. Um, but like we got a crazy amount of hits on that. I Why? don't know. I don't know. The Stathamites. Do they I don't, need? I don't know. Do they know. have a deep need? I can't. I, I, it look, it look, if I knew. It's like I'd be, Bibbs always said, he's Gatham for Statham. Yeah. If I knew, I'd be much better at, at YouTube, but I don't. It's, a, it's We just throw things at the wall. You never know what's going to stick. <laughs> that said, uh, Expendables 4 is garbage. <laughs> Five seconds. Uh, kablam in the place and they things and everyone's old and it's not funny. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for your service. <laughs> I've always liked the idea behind this franchise. Right, but but for that to work, the idea behind this franchise is old old action heroes on on a mission. Yeah. Right? Get another chance to do the but thing. Their oldness is just the 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 come on. It is never part of I've seen a couple of these films. Their oldness is not a part of the action. Their oldness is a part of the tepid little jokes that they make about each other. Yeah. And you never see them as fallible aging people. The, cl you, the, yeah, closest, the closest this movie gets to that is presenting the character played by Dolph Lundgren, who I guess in previous installments was like a raging alcoholic, right. as now sober. And yes. talking about his sobriety and reading about sobriety and like making a big thing about he's in recovery. He's in recovery. Working his steps. And then in the big final battle, he like whips a flask out and drinks, and it's like Popeye eating his spinach. Okay. And he goes and then kills a bunch of people, and then at the very end, he's drinking milk again. I'm like, I'm sorry, movie. There's a way to <laughs> turn that wrong-headed joke into something funny if you are. Uh, 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 remotely sensitive. If you are remotely <laughs> tonally uh, uh, adept. adept at this sort of thing, and my understanding is that uh, nope, these just get more and more stupid. Basically. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, we both watched El Conde. Yes. From Pablo Lorraine. 
who is the foremost chronicler of uh, important suffering ladies. Political widows. Of, of the late 20th and early 21st century. Um, What was the Princess Diana movie? Spencer. Spencer, yes. Okay. Spencer. Uh, Jackie. Jackie. But now he's now he's made a movie about Augusto Pinochet. Yeah. And and he's you know he's made more than just the widow movies. Like, I understand. He, did you see No? No. Oh, you should. Okay. It's actually really good. Uh, so yeah, this this is basically him. Lorraine, as a Chilean filmmaker, trying to wrap his arms around one of Chile's worst villains. Yeah. Uh, you know. Like and, one of the worst people of their generation. Know, last hundred years. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea being, well, Augusto Pinochet was a monster. I guess I'm going to make a monster movie. Right. And I appreciate that. And that uh, is a cool idea. Yeah. So he basically turns Augusto Pinochet into a centuries-old vampire who is now maybe ready to finally like take the stake in the heart. Um, and so it becomes this sort of like, first of all, I mean, it's a, it's, it is a, it is a contemplation and meditation on the horrors that Pinochet wrought upon Chile and the theft that he committed upon that country. Yeah. But it is also kind of a historical look. Uh, you know, he basically has this, 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 you know, young, Pinochet is is a is a French soldier who is you know anti revolutionary. Yeah. Like you know, we see him licking the blood of Marie Antoinette off of a guillotine. Mm -hmm. You know, he is in favor of the ruling class and remains so. And over the centuries, how he became who he became. It is also this very dark family comedy where his wife and children have gathered around him, not because they love him, but because before he dies, they need him to tell him, tell them where all the treasure has been hidden away in the books, uh, in the, you know, in, in the accounting so that they can, you know, make out with that right. because they are all two a one useless. Yeah. Um, he has a devoted manservant. His his Renfield is a former white Russian, uh, whom he whom he turned during the Tsarist Revolution, um, and who is also himself a vampire. And who yes, who was who has yeah. become a vampire himself. You say he turned. That's what happened. Yes, he turned. Pinochet turned him into a vampire. Yeah. And uh, we have a, a, there is an English language narrator whose identity becomes known later in the film, yes. which is a great reveal. It is a great reveal. It's a funny reveal. It is also an incredibly on the nose reveal. Yeah, but, but this is on. this is not a movie that is pussyfooting around any no, kind it's of not. like political messaging. It's so it not. might as There's well be right on the subtlety nose. Subtlety is not this film's uh, wheelhouse uh, intent. Yeah, and 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 also not its execution. Yeah, but it's shot by Ed Lockman in it's stunning the, black and white. <laughs> the production design of this movie is so. Spooky, gothic, gothic, <laughs> um, and just the depth of everything happening. Yeah, you, you are enveloped in this environment where this actual monster is sort of sulking around. <laughs> you know, it's this lavish but decaying manor house where no one looks warm. Well, it's 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 it's. it's 
formerly lavish. Like it's it's, it's yeah, once it's lavish like, and now decaying. Like yeah. There's dirt on the. <laughs> <laughs> they've dug up half of the <laughs> the house. They're all in the dirt. Um, yeah, I I I could not stop looking at this movie. And the longer it went on, it is nearly two hours. The more I thought, all right. I mean, I I get it. I know what's happening. I understand the metaphor. Sure. And, oh, it's going to be the same metaphor for a really long time. I will say this. It is occasionally funny, but the the humor the humor is grim, obviously. Um, and but I feel like they keep coming back to the same stuff. The arrival of an actress whom I don't think I know named Paula Luxinger as a she's an a accountant special, nun. Yeah, she's a very special presence. She's a nun who is an accountant and she is out to uh, make sure that everything gets taken care of properly. Yes. Yeah. She has been sent by the church to, you know, maybe get her own hands on the money that uh, everybody wants as well as some other stuff as well. And uh, she is something else. She really is. This Her performance is, is very special and, and I would say worth watching the whole thing for in addition to how great it looks and feels. Yeah. It's simply, for me, a story that starts at A and stays at A until the reveal right and then you're like oh haha of course <laughs> the end yeah i mean and it's, it, a, it's a it's a it's a it's a last minute it might have benefited movie. me that i saw it on the big screen yeah and not on netflix which is where it is now streaming yeah. but seriously paul luxinger it is rare that uh, a performance ever makes me think about Anna Maria Falconetti in uh, uh-huh. in, in The Passion of Joan uh-huh. of Arc, which this one does. But it's also, like, very funny. And she is a gifted physical performer. And, like, the way that she manipulates each of the family members. She, mm-hmm. she interviews all the family members individually, ostensibly to get financial information from them, but it's clearly digging for other stuff that she, she wants to know. She's there to break them all down. Yeah. And yeah, they look at her like, yeah, sure you are, she, you little nun. She, she doesn't really hide it. Yeah. But like her, oh God, one of my favorite performances this year. Yeah. She's amazing. Uh, so I, I don't want to make people think that I didn't find this, you know, worthwhile. Sure. It is worth watching. And it, it's something that I would recommend. Uh, and you're just, not wrong. It does, it, it, it makes a point and it sits in that there point. There are, there's a, there's a quality of, of the static to it that I wish had moved somewhere. Fair. Um, but yeah, overall, I support it. Uh, El Conde means the count, by the way. Yes. You get it. Yeah. yeah so, um, the, uh, and if you don't know who Augusto Pinochet was, you should go look him up because he was a, an actual human monster. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, mostly propped up by the United States. Well, we installed him yeah. uh, because we were worried. I say we, uh, the United States government was worried that uh, 
socialism was going to happen in Chile. In fact, it had. And so the, the United States backed Pinochet in a coup. Yeah, and this they, this movie and Blue Beetle both make a point to talk about the school of the Americas. Yeah, which is a real thing. thing. Uh, we also saw a documentary called Invisible Beauty mm. about the model Beth Ann Hardison. It is an autobiographical documentary. Uh, she co-directed it with uh, the film, the French filmmaker uh, Frederick Cheng, who is the fashion documentary dude. Yes. He worked on Valentino, The Last Emperor. He directed or co-directed Dior and I, Halston, and Deanna Vreeland, The Eye Has to Travel. Uh, so if you want... A fashion documentary done properly. He's who you call first. He's who you call, and she, he is who she called. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, like I said, this, this is her telling her story. Yeah. Uh, she was a model in the 1970s. That's where she kind of broke through with the collaboration of uh, black fashion designers Stephen Burroughs and uh, then Willie Smith. She was a dark-skinned black model at a time when the industry did not have a place for uh, women like her. There had been other black fashion models uh, that had come along, um, but she was among the first dark-skinned women to make her way in that business. So she took that opportunity and she ran fast with it. She started her own agency in the 1980s. Uh, she quickly became known as the agency where all the cool models were because she intentionally picked models that the industry had sort of overlooked. People of color. Uh, you know. She was an early backer of Naomi Campbell. Yes. So she then became an activist within the fashion industry and uh, really just gunning hard and holding companies accountable for their institutional biases and racism where, you know, one season it was cool to have black models on the runway and then the next season no that's not what we're doing yeah. this year like the the default was always the white model um and so she started the black girls coalition uh she began the diversity coalition which counted the numbers mm. counted the, the looked statistics at the looked at the numbers looked at the ads Who's on the runways? Who's on the boards? I was going to say, also companies. behind the scenes. Who's behind the scenes? And they would just like say, okay, here's who's doing it right and here's who's not. And she pushed and pushed and pushed and got people to listen. And she said uh, on the Supermodels documentary yeah. from Roger Ross Williams, the, the four-part Apple, Apple TV, TV Plus. Plus doc about Linda Evangelista, Naomi Campbell, uh, Cindy Crawford, and Christy Turlington. Beth Ann Hardison is is interviewed in, yes. in that. And she's like, and the minute you turn your head, you have to start fighting all over again. I'm paraphrasing what she yeah. said. Um, so she, is she also interviewed in the Donia Luna uh, doc on Max? I think she is also in the Donia yeah. Luna documentary. Uh, but she's mentored young models and... Uh, designers of color she has just been like everywhere at once yes for her whole life and she's in her 80s now or late 70s early 80s now i don't know that her age is 
is out there in the, in the world specifically. She is the mother of actor Kadeem Harmison. Yeah. You watch A Different World? Uh, Dwayne Wayne. Dwayne Wayne, that's his mom. Um, and, you know, he's in the film talking about her. She is a force. And if you never knew her name, what you really want, first of all, watch this movie. You're going to be entertained and and you're going to learn everything. (laughs) Uh, And you're going to come away from it being like, I think I heard, I think I got about 20% of what you really have to tell me. In the film, she's writing her memoirs. Have they been published yet? Not that I know of, but I'm That's reading. A book I will read <laughs> because I need to know more. Because yeah. she's so cool and so on point for her entire career, uh, and she's really funny too in ways that will surprise you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You'll know what I'm talking about yeah. when she says it. Um, There's a real bounty of documentaries about. Models and the fashion industry right yeah. now, which is not necessarily a thing I'm as interested in as you are, but I have really enjoyed all three of these projects. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, at its best, fashion is telling you something about the world. Yes, that the culture. And models are the conduit for that. And that is what Beth Ann Hardison was and still is. They are a conduit for like insight into culture and for decades people were like oh you're just a dumb model you just walk around in clothes and you pose and that's you don't do anything you're a mannequin but models are communicators in the same way that the clothes are communicators this is hand in hand um the designer is giving you something that they want to give you because they want to push the world forward a little bit and so all of this is in conjunction if you've never paid attention to this kind of stuff before, you could watch this movie. You could watch any of the Frederick Ching films. Halston, if you're queer, Halston in particular is a fascinating documentary uh, about the, the the wild homophobia that he encountered yeah. uh, as, when he was a milliner at first. Uh, it, it will it will make your jaw drop. The things that you hear he he dealt with. And Dior and I is breathtakingly beautiful, right? So. Like I'm pro, I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I'm the person who follows, you know, the, the runway shows on YouTube. I subscribe, (laughs) but like the, you still get vote. You still take vote. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm a, I'm an interested person. So anyway, uh, invisible beauty. Yes. That's It's in theaters now. It'll be streaming before you know it. I'm sure. Yeah. And then we also watched. The Origin of Evil, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, from Sebastian Marnier. This is his third feature uh, after the French films Impeccable and School's Out. This, his whole thing uh, as a filmmaker, he's the suspense thriller guy. Mm. He's not super, you know, uh, like the international filmmaker community isn't... Uh, uh, you know, pouring praise on him because he makes just like serviceable, fun to watch thrillers. He's a genre director. Bad people do bad things. Yes, in his movies, and this one uh, is exactly that. It stars uh, Laura uh, Laura Calamy from Call My Agent, uh, also from 
My Donkey, My Lover, and I, which is not a good movie. Um, <laughs> but she plays a middle-aged woman working in a fish packing plant who works up the nerve to contact her long-lost absent father and see if he will meet with him, meet with her. And he does. And he invites her into his life. And it turns out that he is extremely wealthy, like staggeringly F.U. money kind of wealthy. And she begins inserting herself into his life. And the rest of the family resents her presence. Even going so far on the very first visit to say things like, do not come back to this house. Yeah, they do not. They don't want any part of her. Um, so what she does is she keeps coming back to the house. Uh-huh. And then stuff happens. Yes. Bad, bad, bad <laughs> stuff happens. And that's all I'm going to say. Um, it's a film that... It, this is kind of this is sort of one of my favorite dumb genres of film, the Who's Zoom and Who movie. Mm-hmm. Like you think this is happening, but in reality something else is happening. But wait, coming in from over here <laughs> is another wrinkle, another like wrench in the machinery from someone you weren't expecting. And it becomes the kind of thing of like, am I rooting for anyone? I'm rooting for. <laughs> Well, I won't tell you who I'm rooting for because... Or am I just rooting for the last person standing? <laughs> like in like Wuthering Heights. Um, so, you know, Henri-Georges Clouseau, Claude Chabrol, Brian De Palma. You know, you can see their films all over. This, this is not going to... It's not going to blow you away with its originality. You can see the influences. You can see the, you can see you can see the influences on the technique, on the plot, on the style of filmmaking, uh, and so if that is a, a a bother for you, then yeah, sure, whatever. But if you're in the mood for a yarn, it is a good time. It is a yarn. It is really entertaining. Uh, in that, ooh, what's going to happen next, and who's going to turn out to be the worst, right, of these rotten people? Um. This is a crowd pleaser uh, in that way, but it's different from the other sort of middling crowd pleasers that I've seen Laura Calamy <laughs> be in. Uh, and, and, and it gives her a chance to do something besides be the, uh, the somewhat conniving uh, assistant on Call My Agent, right. which is a show that we really dig. Uh, it's on Netflix, French show about uh, talent agency. Uh, but... She gets to give a real sort of like, I'm going to tear it up kind of performance. Yeah. And I, I appreciated that. I like that. I, I enjoy her. She's kind of, she reminds me of like Juliette Binoche, but not like budget Juliette Binoche. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, that sounds insulting. And I, maybe it is. I don't know. I didn't mean to be, but like it, that's, I, I know that's where I'm at. I know her. what you mean. Yeah. I'm interested to see more from this actor. Yeah, I I think she's I think she's fine. She is. Yeah, and I and I enjoy her, and I enjoyed this movie. Well, yeah, no, it's 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 a lot of fun, and I did not know where it was going, and that's always exciting because so often we do. And then finally, we watched uh, one of the four new Wes Anderson short films that are on Netflix. 
the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, based on a Roald Dahl short story. All four of these short films are based on Roald Dahl short stories. Yes. This one's the longest. This was like 40 minutes long. Yeah, the, the other ones are like 17. Are I all think. like 17 to 20 minutes ish. So all together, I guess they're a feature film. But yeah, if you watched them all at once, you'd be watching a a, a four part Wes Anderson movie yeah. that has stylistically very much in common with Asteroid City. Yes, uh, in terms of the level of extreme artifice, stagecraft, and, the, and the, in, in the intrusion of stage hands and props that are handed to people and. And, and visual effects that are so practical that they are the kind of things you would do in a stage play. Correct. So what's it about? Um, yeah. And mind you, I saw this at Venice and n- not a peep from any of the press materials that I was given by Netflix that this was one of four films. Right. Like I thought this was just a standalone little yeah. roll doll thing. Oh, nice. And then suddenly it's like, oh, wait, there's three more. And and I suppose back in the 60s, you know, you, he could have gotten away with releasing like four by roll doll, you know, a film by Wes Anderson. But anyway, now they are four discrete pieces, but they have interconnecting things, particularly that Ray Fiennes, I think, plays or at least provides the voice of Roald Dahl in yes. all four of them. Yeah. So Henry Sugar is a story about a useless rich guy played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, one weekend while lolling about someone's house who has a huge library, he picks up this notebook um, in which a doctor played by Dev Patel writes this extensive report about treating a man who could apparently see without using his eyes. He was played by Ben Kingsley. Yes. And uh, Henry Sugar is fascinated by this and realizes that he could use this to break the bank at Monte Carlo. So he spends months and months and months training himself on these techniques to like see through cards, you know, that are, you know, to like to use these these sort of visual powers to like get ahead in life. And he goes out and he goes gambling once and it does really well and immediately is bored by the whole thing and decides to sort of like come up with a new tactic and in so doing begins the process of becoming a non-useless person. And so he does. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've seen a movie about a useless rich person that provides them a way forward in life to make their life mean something. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, if Mr. Potter from A Wonderful Life <laughs> saw the light, were suddenly like, oh, I've actually done nothing but harm people. Or in this in this case, I've actually done nothing, nothing. at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a wonderful line that, that actually kind of moved me. Where when he realizes that he can develop this gift, the same gift that that Ben Kingsley had, uh, someone says, "You'll be the richest man in the world." And and Benedict Cumberbatch says, "I don't want that." And that is the opposite of what most people would say. True, <laughs> they would be like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I would love to do that. That, that sounds that would be just fine." <laughs> so. I found myself moved, uh, which is not uncommon for me in a Wes Anderson film. I, I am a fan and find quite frequently his films to be very moving in their weird little artificial way. Yes. 
he uses that stuff to get to emotional territory. We talked about this when we talked about Asteroid yeah. City. In the same way that, that Roald Dahl uses sort of like fable-like constructions of, of storytelling yeah. and, you know, broadly conceived characters to actually comment about, you know, human frailty and, right. and you know, the possibility of redemption in this Roald case. Roald Dahl is, was actually, I think, a lot meaner than... Oh, that, yeah, no, for than, sure. Than, than that. Um but you know, but I in think the he's, hands of Wes Anderson. I think I think if, if he is a bit softened. I think. I think even even the darker doll stories holds out some faith for human improvement. Let's mm, say maybe. Um, but anyway, I really loved this, and uh, and as always, I love the. I love the I love the visual world of of Wes Anderson. Mm. I love the meticulous attention to every square millimeter of the frame. Um, his compositions are fun for me. Every and fun is such a dumb word, but I delight in them. Sure, and I want to look at them, and I want to relook at them. He knows how to break the fourth wall like nobody else. The like actors, he gets away with stuff that that you that you should find cloying, and I, I don't. The actors are narrating their own dialogue, and you know, saying things like, "You can't go in there," I said, and then they, they <laughs> whip their head to the camera, breaking to talk to you yeah. about what they said to provide their own like did. stage notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, love it, and it's forty minutes, which is you know. Yeah, honestly, that's the perfect length of a movie. <laughs> I, I I think that if you're somebody who likes the 40 idea, forty minutes or four hours. If you like Pick exactly, one. if you like the idea of Wes Anderson, but but find him overbearing, maybe these will be little amuse bouches. Maybe you'll pop in a seventeen minuter and just get a little taste of his world, and then you can go back to whatever it was you were doing. And we're gonna get to the other three uh, yes. next time, but for now, we're going to leave you. Yes. We both have screenings. Uh, I have one quick letter. We have we had a long one that I'm going to save for when we have more time. Are you reading the one quick letter? Uh, I'm going to read it, yes. Uh, Although I have one too. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, it's a quick one. And it's, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the one sentence that felt like I was being harmed. Go on. Oh, I think I know who wrote that. Um, <laughs> our dear friend Robert Kirby. Y'all, if yes. you have not picked up his book, Marry Me a Little, do. It's the greatest uh he comments can't wait to see stop making sense again my sister had a big crush on lynn mabry and edna holt and i sort of did too yeah, they were well, so what's great not to, what's not they're crushable that's yes. why they're crush worthy absolutely both of them uh my stop making sense letter i do not have in front of me but i have it paraphrased because it is now burned into my burned into my soul oh okay it was it was such a burn i needed ice oh to fix the burn some aloe vera Shoddy. I knew it. <laughs> the best. Cuts like a knife. Shoddy, our greatest listener. Let's, <laughs> it's not a competition, but she wins. Um, said, how much, how shameless are you? I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing this, but how much shame do you not feel? Like, how shameless are you that you constantly bash boomer nostalgia and then you spend 45 minutes talking about stop making sense and we, I, te I texted her back and i said i'm sorry i cannot respond to the rest of this letter because i have been murdered <laughs> and you have done it 
ouch, the, ouch, shoddy, ouch. Ow, sweetie. It's, the, it's, the moment our nostalgia gets the play that boomer nostalgia has gotten over the years, we'll talk. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, here's my response to this. I, I feel no shame. None. Zero shame. I, uh, 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 I indulged in uh, Gen X nostalgia, and therefore uh, I am a bad person, and I, I, I can live with that. <laughs> I'll just live with that. Very well then. But ow, ow, ow! <laughs> how does how does how does uh, how does Edwina say it? Ow, sweetie, ow, sweetie, ow! <laughs> All righty. Well, hey, yeah. listen. Uh, go to thefilmverdict.com Please if you do. want to read my read reviews. reviews you will have to register for the site, but it's free. They just want to have your email address. Have your email address so they can tell you when Alonso Duralde has a review that you. Should yeah, read. like so. You know, look. You, Use that email address that you never use. Start a new email if you don't want to have things. It's, oh, it's just fine. live just, with it. Just, it. Everybody it, wants your email now, and everyone's got your email yeah, now. it's free. I know this from getting my COVID vaccination there this past go. week. CBS knew they know everything. who we were. But when we even, we walked in, and they were like, oh, hello. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> why? That's yeah. another story for another day. Yeah. Anyway, filmverdict.com, please uh, go check me out. You can also hear me on other podcasts. Uh Breakfast All Day on YouTube and on your podcatcher with Chrissy Lemire, uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network, and Deck the Hallmark. Uh, mark your calendars. Friday the 20th of October is when the annual Countdown to Christmas Marathon begins. I think we're starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday night and going all the way through. The Jerry Lewis telethoning. Yeah, it. going yeah. all the way through to about 11 p.m. on Saturday night. And uh, Have a good time doing that. We I'll will, be asleep. We'll be watching Hallmark movies, doing reviews of the first couple of new ones. and If you're lucky, I might pop in uh, yeah, you, as, a, you as, better. A, as a guest. Uh, Dave has in past years crank. popped in. With, over his first mug of tea, which has always right. been entertaining. But anyway, so that, that'll be uh, streaming on YouTube. So you can check that out on on the Hallmark, uh, the Deck the Hallmark podcast channel. And um, yeah, uh, you know, if, if, if you feel like uh, you can afford it, maybe help out, uh, you know, Doctors Without Medicines or one of the organizations that Dave mentioned earlier in the, po- in the podcast. And uh, we'll be back soon with more. Until then. Goodbye.